Hey guys, it's Will and Jean, and we're going to get to the episode in just a second, but first... But first... But first... But first, we realized that while we were recording this episode, there was actually so much valuable information that we thought it would be better split into two parts. So today, you are going to hear part one of what will be an ongoing series for us called Things I Didn't Learn in School. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Generation Y Podcast. My name is Will. And I'm Jean. And this is a podcast and a community designed to help young adults thrive. Because young adulting is hard and we just want to help. So with this episode, we are starting an ongoing series that we like to call Things We Didn't Learn in School. Today's topic dun, 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 is money. Money, this money, money, money. <laughs> is the Generation Y Podcast. And, <laughs> and today we are joined by Dr. 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 Stephen Kuzniak, a faculty member, a lecturer at the University of Georgia, uh, an economist. Um, he's got your PhD as well. Uh, in, well. You teach personal finance, is that correct? Yeah. So right now I'm teaching in the, worked in the, the business school for many years, but now I currently uh, work in the, the financial planning program, teaching kind of an introduction to personal finance class. It's really designed just to kind of, you know, hey, things you weren't, things that no one taught you about money to kind of give you, uh, give students, give individuals the basics of, you know, money 101. That's, we are very excited about this, as are a lot of our listeners. Uh, we sent out a message letting listeners send in questions, and we got flooded with questions and realized, oh my gosh, um, one, we're not alone as young adults who have <laughs> no idea uh, what financing and what financial planning is because um, we weren't taught it in school. Just to be clear, the class that you now teach at University of Georgia, was that available when I was in school? Just asking for a friend. Yeah, no, I, I asked the same thing because I actually did my undergraduate at university as well. And um you know, that's the thing I've learned about money and about just financial literacy in general is that you can actually go through, you know, high school, college, depending on your family situation, you can go through school of many different types and never get any exposure to financial education, financial literacy, just the basics. Um, so like you will, I'm in the same boat. Uh, this class, uh, I think it's one of the most popular electives now. Uh, it actually didn't exist, certainly not in its current form. Um, whenever I was in school as an undergrad, I think had it existed, I probably would have uh, may have actually changed the direction of my 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 path to get to where I am because yeah. I really like really? this material. But yeah. uh, it didn't exist, uh, at least certainly not in the capacity it is today. And so, yeah. Um, but it is neat. It's a neat uh, neat option. A lot but, of people take it just because they want the basics. Isn't it just so crazy that they're like, "Hey, come to school. We're going to teach you everything, prepare you for life." We're not going to tell you how to write a resume. Uh, we're not going to tell you how to use a credit card and a slew of other things. And then we're just going to like push you out of the nest. Best of luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> and and Stephen, that actually kind of sets us up for this conversation because this kind of ongoing series that we're doing is entitled Things We Never Learned in School. And this certainly is one of them. And the whole idea around this is so many of us go through middle school, high school, and even college and come out of there with a brain full of of sometimes useless information, but it seems like some basic information that we need to function in society mm -hmm. was overlooked or wasn't part of even uh, even the fact that this is still an elective and not a core class right. to me uh, seems like an oversight where I'm like, hey, I just feel like there's nobody in the world that isn't going to need to know how to manage personal finance. Right. But 
Anyways, that brings us to the first thing how I want to start this conversation is I'd love to start off just with something fun here for a second. All right, which is what is something that you learned in school that you'll never forget, but that you will also never use? <laughs> Trying to think of which uh, which of my old teachers I want to upset. That, uh, oh, put them but, on blast uh, right now. <laughs> put them on blast. Yeah, I, I think if uh, the thing that I, I took uh, foreign language or something like my worst subject in school was always foreign language. Yes. Uh, I went to a school where uh, over half the student population spoke Spanish, and I chose to take uh, you know Latin and German. Yeah. And, yep. uh, Naturally, uh, well, I did Germany for a little bit. Uh, that is all like left the brain. Uh, I, I wish every day that I'd taken Spanish, actually learned it. Um, but uh, certainly the foreign language is something, while I appreciate other cultures and it probably like stretched my brain out, uh, I probably could have made some different decisions there and uh, yep. been, been maybe a little more productive with that, that side. <laughs> I love it. Gene, what Do about you? Do you still remember a Latin phrase? Oh, gosh. Uh, don't put me on the spot there. I'm more <laughs> than, uh, maybe, uh, yeah, Shabbat Garen or something. One of these, Ooh. like, I want do you have that as a tattoo anywhere on your body? Any Latin I mean, tattoos? Superfly or something In like barbed you know, wire. Yeah. military tattoos. That was the, the fun story on that note, Stephen. I studied French in college. When I say studied, I mean I took French in college and just yeah. tried to pass. And uh, I was so excited for one time I was traveling to Paris. And I was really excited to be able to use the language that I had learned, you know, this language that I've been working so hard on that I'm never going to use in the U.S. I was like, oh, we're going to Paris. Like, I'm not speaking English the entire time that I'm there. Fun, fun fact is French natives do not like to speak French to American speakers or to non-native speakers. And so I get there and like, and I'm trying to speak French to everybody, everyone that will listen to me, every waiter, every store clerk, I'm speaking French. And immediately after one line, they're like, you speak English? And I was like, Yes. And they're like, let's just do that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> we. <laughs> Gene, what's your, what's something you learned in college that is, you'll never use, but you'll never forget. Okay. Well, it was actually high school. Oh, um, I said high school. Sorry. And I think I, the one moment I paid attention in geometry was I heard the phrase, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Mm. I don't know anything about geometry. None of it makes sense to me to this day. And the only way that that information is useful is if you were like, oh, the restaurant is a street over. And in your mind, you go, well, if I could drive straight through this building, <laughs> then I could get there. Otherwise, it's completely useless. But I, yes. but I remembered and it's been many, many a moon. Since yes. Then. Wow. You know. The things that actually, what if you, you think about that phrase, Gene, uh, that's pretty deep, you know, hey, the shortest distance between point A and point B is a straight line, you know, just apply that to your life in, in a lot of ways. It's kind of deep. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> okay. So let's jump in, uh, Stephen. So again, the purpose of this episode is to make us a little bit smarter with our financial decisions, with our money, with all of just, I, mean, I imagine as I think through you know, things like a Roth IRA and a 401k and like all these things. Um, we're going to use this episode as almost like a crash course, right? Uh, almost yeah. a crash course for our listeners um, to hopefully find some value in this and to simplify some things. Yeah. So that being said, Gene, you want to kick us off? Yeah. So we thought we would structure this like, how do we get from right out of college into our like later young adult years? So for a lot of people, while they were in college, they 
they took out a student loan. They got a credit card. Um, they haven't really been taught how to use these things, what to do with them. Um, they weren't taught about budgeting. So we wanted to start at the beginning and then work our way into, you know, the point of paying off debts, the point of investing in retirement and all the way into actual investments. So we just want to start with number one, how to budget and steps to get ahead. So how would how yeah. do you advise your students to budget and to spend mindfully? That's a great question. And that's a, that's a perfect starting point for a conversation like this, because uh, I think there's kind of two different components. And I'll really start with kind of the maybe the mindfulness component, because I think, um, you know, as a young adult myself, I think that it's fascinating to think about, well, how do I, I think about spending money? How do I think about cash flow? Uh, how do I think about budgeting? And I'll say budget is kind of a loaded word. Um, people who hate budgets feel super constrained when they just hear the word. Um, they're like, oh gosh, a budget, you know, that sounds terrible. Uh, and they're people who love budgets. Um, they're probably all finance professors, you know, but <laughs> they, they feel very freed by them. Um, they hear the word budget and they're like, oh, well, if I've got money set aside for that, I can spend there guilt-free. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say budgeting is kind of a, a loaded term in some ways and just how you perceive it and kind of influence just kind of where it takes you. Um, but I love that even prior to budgeting is really this idea of mindful spending and, and mindfulness, um, because I love this topic and something that's kind of near and dear to my heart, um, because I think that everyone, you know, no matter how much income, you know, you have or you don't have, uh, we all have something and we're trying to figure out how to best utilize whatever we have. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of like, how do we be mindful with the consumption? How do we be mindful with the resources we do have is kind of a perfect starting point. And I think one of the things, kind of the, the maxims that we, we talk through both in class and just kind of in life is trying to figure out, okay, kind of identifying the things that we have that aren't important to us and kind of minimizing expense on those. And then determining the things that are really valuable to us and maximizing how much we spend on those. Um, for instance, if somebody, you know, doesn't care a thing about cars or, um, you know, it's just point A to point B, it's like, how do we minimize spending there? But maybe they love guitars or bikes or travel. And it's like, okay, well, how do we look at our cash flow? What's coming in? What's going out? How do we prioritize the things that are actually important to us that make us happy? And how do we really cut, cut, cut costs or really minimize the expense on things that really aren't that important to us? So that's kind of the mindful component, mindfulness component. And then you kind of get into the budgeting side. So let me ask just a, a practical question then around sure. this, around budgeting. How, it, how do you know if you can afford something? <laughs> That's a great question. If you're like, hey, I would love this new bike. How do you know if you can afford it or not? Oh, that's fast. So bikes are also one of my, my favorites. So that's the area where I like to spend a lot of money in. My car, I could care less. But, right. uh, you know, the bicycle is where, where I spend the money. But that's a great question. And I think that, um, you know, in terms of how, you know, how do we decide, you know, how much to spend? We get this question all the time, um, you know, especially for someone right about to, who's about to graduate or maybe they're, you know, maybe just past that season looking to buy a new house or something like that. And they're like, oh, well, how much should I spend on rent? Or they're, maybe they, you know, lived on campus somewhere and they and they didn't have a car and they're looking to buy a car. And they're like, well, how much should I spend on a car? Or how much should I spend on a house or rent? And so I think there's kind of two kind of big philosophical approaches. Uh, one approach is you just say, okay, I'm going to have a couple different buckets. And uh, bucket A is, hey, I'm going to, for... You know, a lot of people are kind of charitably inclined. They say, you know, the first X number of dollars I'm going to give charitably or something like that. Maybe they have 10% they want to set aside for giving or charity. Maybe the next 10 or 20% they'll set aside from savings. And then the rest is just a free for all. 
spend it any way you want. Hey, you know, as long as I've, I've you know, done this part, done this part, I'm feel free to, to kind of spend any way for whatever's left over. And as long as I'm not going into debt, I'm hitting the main two goals there. That's kind of one approach. Um, the second approach is saying, okay, well, where do I want to get to? You know, what's important to me? And then kind of working backwards and saying, okay, well, you know, if cars are really important to me, if, if um, you know, if having a nice house or, you know, whatever is important, then kind of figuring out, making sure that, you know, whatever the goals are being accounted for, um, and then kind of maybe a little bit more strategy in terms of, you know, maybe I want to spend about this much on my car, about this much on my, my transportation, my house, my rent, maybe debts in there. So there are kind of two different approaches. One is just kind of set aside the savings, set aside any kind of, you know, charitable giving potentially, and then everything else is left. Go ahead and spend. The other is more of a, a curated approach to saying, well, here's kind of where I want my money to go. And then we can talk to the mechanics of actually how to implement that. Right. So a lot of people are wondering what percentage, say if you did that bucket A, you know, 10% off the top, then you did, and then you really prioritized saving for 20%. Now you have this 70% for all of your life's expenses. What percentage of your money should, in theory, be going to home, to car, to bills of, of the money that you have left over? Uh, that's a perfect question. I think this is a really popular one, too. First thing people want to know is, yeah, how much should I save? Especially once you get maybe like, we see that a lot in kind of the late 20s, early 30s, people start to think like, okay, well, what about retirement? Should I go ahead and get that stuff going? But prior to that, it's really, okay, how do I get set up? How much should I spend? on you know x y and z and so there are kind of rules of thumb to go by on some of this um like i said for anybody it's always kind of structured of you know where do you live what are your priorities but if we're if someone in this who's listening to this podcast is in san francisco um you know you give them a percent they're supposed to spend on their on their housing and they may laugh because <laughs> it would make no sense um, right. sure. uh, but yeah someone in athens or you know in a smaller town or Atlanta or, you know, maybe someone overseas here is this, and the numbers may not line up perfectly, but, um, but kind of the rule of thumb uh, on the housing, um, the banks are going to tell you, you know, kind of a third of your income going towards housing. And that's kind of an all in. I tend to be a little bit more conservative. I, I prefer people kind of target more of like a 25% of their income. So a quarter of their income, their take home pay. Um, like I said, in some markets, that's going to feel like you're, you're, you know, couch surfing, <laughs> Some places that's going to give you more. Yeah. Um, so, but that's kind of the very conservative rule of thumb. Most mortgages, most banks are claiming to say, hey, closer to a third of your income. Uh, to me, the, the smaller amount there, uh, the more flexibility you have. Um, for me, on the on the transportation side, um, to me, it's really, to some extent, that's kind of a priority. You got to get to point A to point B. And beyond that, um, I, I'm not a big fan of uh, borrowing money on anything that goes down in value. Uh, cars being the cheap one for most families. Sure. So to me, the first step is kind of making sure you have safe, reliable transportation to point A to point B. Um, but for many people, that may, may not be a super expensive car. It may be something that they can get around to. If that becomes something that's really important to you, then you can kind of increase the percent there. Um but, you know, we work with people in big cities who that's, you know, zero to five for somebody who listen to New York City. They're like, oh, man, transportation, a couple of Ubers, you know, a subway, sure. you know, pass, no big deal. Someone in Atlanta, which is like car capital of the world, um, they may be more like the 10 percent of their budget may be going simply to car, if not significantly more than that. Sure. Um, so in terms of a specific number, um, you know, my wife and I are on the low end. We try to shoot 
uh, for a very small portion of our income going to automobiles, because that's not something that's super important to us as long as we can get point A to point B. Uh, but we see that kind of range, kind of your, you know, your 5% to, to 15%, depending on kind of location. Yeah. To me, to me, a lot of that almost goes back to, to the mindfulness or, and, you know, as you're mentioning a bit ago, Hey, if cars is something that you care a lot about and you're really passionate about your, your car, um, then that money still has to come from somewhere else. It's a give and take. And that's the beauty of a budget. You know, for us, yeah. something that was a high priority for us was having a comfortable living space. And thank God that we did that because we didn't know we were going to be trapped in our one bedroom apartment for the right. next seven months. But for us, that was something that we said, hey, you know what? We want to make sure that we have a comfortable living space. We have, you know, nice furniture, a comfortable mm-hmm. couch, but that money still has to come from somewhere, mm-hmm. you know? And, okay, maybe you can't drive an Audi and we have this. So maybe let's take it from something that we don't prioritize right as much. because it still has to come from within your means ideally if you're budgeting you're not extending yourself beyond your means to have those things so basically if you're going to spend more in one area you have to take it away from another area right so let's say that you're that you are in this place where you're like okay i'm going to start budgeting but i but i do have some debt i'm a, i'm aware of that debt i'm starting to pay that debt um, I'm, I'm well before the point of actually investing. What do I start yeah. first? Do I start saving first or do I start paying my debt first? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I would say, and, and, and to me, I, you can kind of survey a bunch of it. You know, if you ask 10 finance professors or 10, you know, money personalities, they may all have different kind of perspectives in terms on a spectrum of how much you should save. On the more conservative side, some would say, hey, don't do any investing at all until you paid off, um, you know, paid off all your debt, all your consumer debt, all your student loan debt, everything but the house. Uh, others would say, hey, certain types of debt is okay. Um, but I think for most for most individuals, the first step when it comes to just getting the basics of finance set up will be starting with kind of getting some kind of cash, get kind of some kind of emergency fund, even before paying off debt, even before starting to invest, just having a little buffer between you know, yourself and life um, is probably more apparent now than it has been. But um, somewhere, okay. just so we see statistics all the time about how many, uh, not just young people, but older people, too, that are living paycheck to paycheck or, or income to income. So I think the first step, really, even pre-budgeting is kind of getting a little bit of buffer. For some people, that may be $500. Some people, that may be $1,000. But just having some money so when those inevitable things come up, uh, you have a little bit of buffer um, once you kind of establish a bit of an emergency fund, the next step is that's when you kind of tackle and say, okay, well, kind of what does the landscape of my debt look like? If I'm meeting with a physician who's got, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, that's a very different category than someone that has, you know, $250 in credit card debt. So it's a little bit of a spectrum and that's a little bit individualized, but I think the first step is always kind of establishing a little bit of an emergency fund. And then it's kind of building a game plan to figure out what the next step is. It may be kind of a, uh, on the debt side, kind of attacking that, or it may start moving into the yeah. investing side. Uh, Steve, let's talk about credit for a second. Um, yeah. The, uh, a popular, you know, school of thought is that we need to be developing credit. Hey, you need credit to buy this. You need credit to buy a house. You need credit to buy a car. All these you know, sorts of things. We've heard banks tell us that. One, is that true? And, and two, if it is, what are healthy ways that we can start developing credit for those of us who have not done that? Actually, that's a great question. That's actually one of the most popular questions I have in my class. People come in, they're like, I've heard of a credit score. I tried to get a cell phone. I tried to rent an apartment. And they said, uh, 
needed a credit score or I'm trying to, I want to buy a house in a few years. Uh, and so I think credit is, it's a really fascinating um, kind of construct in terms of what it is and what it means. So uh, there's a couple of different components of credit. The first thing to know about credit is um, the thing that I want to differentiate between having no credit or, or having very little credit and having bad credit. Mm-hmm. So there's a big difference. Um, if you, if you borrow money and you don't pay it back, that negatively impacts your, your credit score or your, um, your credit history. And that makes it very expensive um, anytime you want to borrow money in the future. If you have basically either no credit or very little credit, that's generally not near as big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see that a lot when someone graduates, uh, especially depending on family situation, they may not have ever borrowed money, no student loans, no credit cards. Uh, and then they get to the point where they're trying to do certain things. And they kind of run into these issues of like, oh, I don't have any credit. Generally, that can be a little bit, um, you know, that can take, that can maybe be a little bit frustrating, but it's not a big deal. What is a big deal, though, is bad credit. When you borrow money and you don't have the inability to pay it back and you get a negative credit score or a very poor credit score, that can make it very expensive anytime moving forward. So yeah. I think a credit score is, is certainly important, but I think it gets a little bit more, uh, I think it, um, we do see it kind of uh, talked about maybe more so than uh, I think it's important, but not as important as it sometimes right. it's made out. So then what, what are the uh, healthiest ways for people to start developing a good credit score? If that's something they want to do. Is it a credit card? Is it a, a rent? Is it student loans or, you know, tell us. Absolutely. So any type of, there's a lot of different ways to kind of build credit. You know, a lot, it depends a little bit on how it's reported. Um, certainly most people are familiar with credit. Credit cards are kind of the primary thing that most people are familiar with. Certainly any kind of revolving payment, anytime you borrow money and you pay it back, uh, that's going to show up on your credit report. So anytime you borrow money and you paid it back, um, that's going to show up. So um, when it comes to establishing credit, uh, the biggest thing that, to, to, to do when you're trying to figure out credit is just to simply don't borrow money that you can't pay back. That sounds sure. super straightforward, but that's the biggest thing that kind of, you get all these kind of tactical things of, hey, I'm going to take out this credit card and that, but the big overall picture is the the thing that messes up most people is when they borrow money and they they get behind or they can't pay it back yeah so um so certainly um borrowing money simply to increase your credit score is a little bit of a dangerous game yeah um you would you hear a lot of people say oh, okay take out a credit card pay it off every month um that's certainly an option but it's kind of trade off with the risk factor of oh man uh, if I if I end up running up a balance or carrying debt on that, it can make it can be so expensive. The offset of an increased credit score so, uh, is not is not worth it. Yeah. So what sh- sort of things should we be putting on a credit card, uh, or like per- perhaps maybe how much should we be spending on a credit card against our credit line, and how often should we pay that off? Okay, that's a great question. So we'll start with. Um, just so when it comes to credit cards, you know, this is the thing that's really fascinating. I learned with my students that a lot of people get a credit card well before they have any idea how credit cards work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, do, I don't know. Sure. If, if you walk past a college campus, they like throw a credit card at you right. and get you to sign up. Um, if I showed you my mail, it, you would be amazed. <laughs> it really feels so irresponsible. It, it literally looks like it's my birthday every day. American <laughs> Express sends me this thing covered in confetti. I'm surprised that they didn't sing a singing telegram to me trying to get me to sign up for a credit card. It, it's unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I I think they've actually changed the law a little bit where they can't like give out pizzas and, and goodies on campuses anymore. I think they just send it all in the mail now. Yeah. Uh, but the first big thing when it comes to credit and credit scores, um, 
the first thing is if you do have a credit card, uh, is, is just the getting into the habit of paying it off every month. This sounds super simple, 101, uh, but it's shocked even on the higher income levels, how often we see somebody with cash sitting in the bank carrying a credit card balance. Right. Um, so basically they would borrow money and then at the end of the month, they would make a minimum payment. So basically making full payments on any credit card is kind of the first rule of thumb there. Sure. Uh, many, many utilities, many um, places that you lease if you have a rent or if you rent from uh, an apartment class, especially the bigger ones, they will often run your, your leasing information through your credit report. So if you, if you uh, and then some utilities will do that as well. Uh, many utilities you can call them, and they'll actually report your ability, your willingness to pay on your credit report as well. So that's kind of some, some ways where you don't have to necessarily borrow money, but you are um, paying back you right. know, on, a, on a regular basis to, right. to get established some of that. So if you don't think you can pay it off by the end of the month, don't put it on your credit card. Oh, that's the perfect rule. If everybody lived by that, we'd, uh, <laughs> we'd be in a, a good spot. Um, yeah. And I think what we find is most people don't start out saying, okay, great, I've got a, I've got a $10,000 credit limit. I'm going to go buy a bunch of shoes and, you know, stroll around. Uh, what we see much more often is that, um, you know, somebody will have a credit card just as a, an emergency. They'll have it in their card. They'll have it in, um, and they'll be towards the end of the month and, you know, they'll get a flat tire and they're like, oh, I got to get this. Uh, here's 50 bucks. Here's a hundred dollars. Right. I don't have the cash available. I'll just put it on the card. I'll pay it off a little bit later. Um, and it's like a series of small cuts. It's, it's much rare than somebody going out and just, you know, blowing money on all these fancy things. It's, it's so much more often we see it on these little things. Or in recently, we've seen a lot of people who have uh, lost jobs or had their income cut um, the last few months yeah, more sure. so than ever. Yeah. Um, and a lot, uh, I'm, I'm a little nervous of how much of that is being, um, being, uh, how much of lifestyle is being carried on credit cards. I don't know if we'll be able to know that, uh, until a little bit later. So first step is certainly, um, you know, having, a, um, you know, paying off all debt as, as quickly as possible. Uh, and then the second piece is, you know, understanding, um, you know, how, how credit works, you know, getting that set up anytime you borrow money, you know, paying it back, whether it's rent, whether it's utilities, anytime you, you have, uh, or you owe money somewhere, maybe it's a medical bill, et cetera, um, and you have that, that you owe someone money and it's negatively reported, that is when it can get uh, very dangerous. A lot of times people don't even know. They may have they may have gotten, we just um, had a baby a few weeks ago and we're still getting bills that from the hospital and we keep getting them and we're like, wow, um, some of this is from, you know, I don't oh know when this God. will stop. And if, you know, it's like, okay, well, I thought we paid that one. We've gotten so many different ones in. Oh some gosh. have been paid. Some of the insurance paid. Some didn't. So wow. Um, well, sometimes so the, they don't oh. let you know that you've been um, that they've sent you to collections. Um, this this happens a lot in college too. Um, I remember when I was moving out of one of my college apartments, and they did a walkthrough the day after we'd all left, and it was a yeah. year later. I'm living in a new place and a collections agency calls me. And apparently when they did their walkthrough, they determined that we all owed a bunch of money in repairs. We didn't. Um, it's just like, it's kind of a scam either way. They, I never got the first or second letter letting me know I owed anything. So it went to collections. So by the time I found out they had had it for a while and I wound up having to pay double the bill just to get it off off of my credit. So if anyone's finding right. themselves in that situation where they're like, Oh, I actually have bad credit. What do you suggest that they do just to get out of the red? Absolutely. That's a perfect. And I want to actually point the, the listeners to uh, a website. So I, I, so one of the things that I encourage, actually it's one of the mandatory things I do for all of my students 
is one of the, on the, I think it's the second week of class. I have everybody go to the website, annual credit report. If you have show notes, we can, we can link it there. Yeah. We'll put uh, it in the notes. Is, there's all kinds of like, uh, kind of scammy sounding websites that have like credit reporting or credit monitoring, or right. credit reports. And, uh, years ago there were commercials for all of these, but there actually is annual is actually, uh, the, like the legitimate site where you can go for free. Uh, once a year and look at all the major bureaus and actually look up your credit uh, and it'll show you any kind of action on your credit. So anybody that's requested credit from you, any delinquencies, any, you know, bills from years ago. Um, And and this actually shocking how many errors are on that. Uh, It's shocking that how many people like they've never even looked that up and they're like, oh, well, my mom has a credit card and we have the same name or my dad has a credit card and they put it under my name. Um, so I would encourage all all listeners wow. to at least get and, get, and, and kind of check. It's it's pretty fascinating. It, it actually shows you any any time you've ever borrowed money. Um, it's all on one report, and it's a pretty fascinating place wow. to to see. And also, it is like I said, it is free. But um, there are a lot of scammy sounding names that are very similar to that that sure. are not. So we have to be sure. a little bit careful. Um, so, um, maybe we can leave. I put that, all but. my, all my loans under Dr. Steven Kuzniak. <laughs> so if you're looking for those, that's hundred percent me. Also, I just want to say as a PSA also to whoever did my walkthrough when I lived in college to my apartment, we absolutely did deserve all the charges that we got. I just want to go ahead and put that out there. At one point in there, we put a volleyball in our microwave just to see how long it would last. Not something I'm proud Silly of. Boys. Anyway. Moving on. Moving on. Here's a question um, pertaining to debt that uh, a bunch of our listeners asked. They wanted to know what is good debt and what is bad debt. Uh, That's a fantastic question as well. And that's that's a very common question. I I think there's kind of I think there's always nuance to these conversations. So it's a little bit hard to say, hey, you know, categorically, you know, this is right and this is wrong, because I think there's a little bit of gray area. But the way I like to think about it personally and I think you would, if you pulled the audience and pulled a bunch of people who think about finance, they may all have slightly different ways to think about it. But uh, personally, I'll kind of give you my my lean or my uh, my bias. I tend to be a little bit more conservative and a little bit um, a little bit risk averse, debt averse. And the reason I'm that way is because I've done a lot of financial counseling, a lot of financial planning for for either low income young families, and I see so often. Um, debt just in a really bad place and really burdensome for a lot of young families and a lot of young individuals graduating college. And it's just, it just scares me and it, it hurts my heart a little bit to see people with this weight. Uh, but I think the way I think about it is on a very general term, uh, anything that goes down in value, uh, I consider bad debt. So if you're borrowing money on something that goes down in value, I categorically call that uh, bad debt. So um, if you're buying a, you know, a couch, uh, a cell phone, uh, a car, a boat, um, a lot of the kind of the consumer purchases. I did see, uh, I actually did see a credit card, a Petco, where someone financed their dog, which that's actually a real <gasps> thing. So wow. I did, uh, a, a pretty large bill. And it was a very expensive dog. Oh uh, they like their dog, so they financed wow. their dog. Um, they love their dog. So I don't know. That may be good to have it. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> Depends what the interest like, rate is. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, and then when it comes to good debt, I would say that there's maybe better debt. I don't know how much debt is is really great. Right. Um, if you've got to go macroeconomics, you can kind of make some arguments there. But um, I'm not as uh, I'm not 
I'm not as upset when I see people borrowing money on things that generally appreciate and value. Um, so homes are kind of the big one. I think still makes sense to, to make sure that those payments aren't super ridiculous versus income. So if someone's borrowing money and it's less than a third or a quarter of their take-home pay and the asset's growing in value, I would consider that on the better debt side. Uh, I would say college education to some extent. I got to be careful here because I'm employed by, you know, <laughs> college. Sure, uh, sure. But I also see tons of people with really bad college debt too. And so I, I, I don't say that, you know, go take out all the student loans in the world because um, that's the best thing to do. I say be very mindful there as well. Um, be very careful when choosing a college. I know some, a lot of your audience is like, great, uh, I should have known that 10 years ago. Right. Or Not 20. helpful now, Stephen. Yeah. Um, thanks. <laughs> um, but I think uh, college debt um, can be okay if it's structured well, where you know you're going to have a return on the investment, specifically the amount the school is going to cost versus what you're going to get in return, whether that's opportunity or income. Um, certainly, it may make sense to pay a lot of money for something if you're going to get that return. So I would say that, that housing is one of the better debts. Interest rates are super low there. Um, I would say that education is kind of borderline, but can be if done uh, tactfully and mindfully, can be a better debt. And then yeah. really anything going down in value that you're borrowing money on, I, I almost categorically see that as yeah. bad debt. Stephen, you talked about interest rates for a second, which is something sure. that uh, I am interested in. Uh, no, ah. no pun intended. Uh, but I imagine. <laughs> ew. <laughs> ew. Um, I imagine for most of us, our large expenses aren't dogs uh, or boats, but for most of us, it's usually things like cars. You know, you got to have a car. Most of us do. Um, and for those expenses, oftentimes we take a loan out for some of those things. What is a good interest rate uh, for a loan for something like a car or a large purchase? That's a great question as well. And I, I will say, you know, to your audience, what's so funny about um, the personal finance world is like how many terms and acronyms there are. It's right. like, got like interest rates and IRAs and, and APR. And like and for, yeah. terms. Exactly. As you get to a loan, it's like there's an APR number and an APY number and there's like an annual and yes. it can be done monthly. Help us make and sense of all of that. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a gobbledy. It is really hard to 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 really understand kind of what well, I remember, what all, it can't be very hard. Yeah, I remember when I bought my first well, not my first car. I remember when I I bought my first car with a loan. I had always paid cash for my cars up until a certain point. But I got this big, you know, smorgasbord of documents, and I had no idea what any of these numbers were. I didn't know. I could just see that, oh great, my interest rate is this percent. And I didn't know if it was good. I didn't know if it was bad. You know, I was just like, oh, I guess this is it fine. It wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, right. So to, tell us, <laughs> help us make sense of that and what is a, a good rate. So, yeah. So essentially, um, the best way to think about interest rates is just the amount it costs to borrow money. And so if you borrow $1,000 and you have a 10% interest rate, you pay $100 to borrow that money each year. Right. That's kind of the, the simple back of the napkin way to, to think through it. Um, as we're recording this podcast, as of today, we're kind of at like the historically 50-year low of interest rates. So if someone's listening to this podcast a year from now or three years from now, uh, they maybe look back at some of the numbers and kind of laugh at them because they may be arbitrarily low. But if you want to buy a uh, boat, but, now's the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's the lesson for today, right? That's, uh, that's great. Will's, Will's message. Yes. Uh, but uh, right now, um, interest rates are, like I said, historically low. Um when my parents bought their first house, their interest rate was around 18% on their home. 
uh, we just refinanced uh, our house and we're at like two, a little under two or two something, two nine. Uh, we've seen some come through under two and a half, which is just wow. insanely low for a 30 year or a 15 year mortgage. Can you explain um, what you mean for when you say we refinanced? Just we want to we want to yeah. be uh, explain it like I'm five. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great question. And there are so many terms. I'm I'm so used to them. It helps to kind of slow down on some of that. Sure. So yeah, my wife and I we purchased a house um, five years ago, and we purchased it. The interest rates have actually come down since we purchased it. And so uh, a few months ago, when they hit a certain threshold, we um, we were actually. We initially borrowed money at four and a half percent, and at the time was a reasonable rate. They've since come down to around two nine, uh, which is so. For instance, on a hundred thousand dollar house at four and a half percent, we're paying about four thousand five hundred dollars in interest a year. Um, the the going rate was two nine, and so we bumped our interest that we pay each year from uh, about forty five hundred dollars a year to two thousand nine hundred dollars a year. So That's great. good. Um, so we just refinanced. Um, we're still kind of on the payoff mode. We're going to pay the house off pretty early. Our first house we paid off and, and didn't have a mortgage on it. So um, we're not big fans of debt, but uh, a very, so the better credit score, a good credit score is going to be able to get you the higher or the lower debt payment. Um, what we see, we see two things. So we see on the mortgages, if you're looking to buy a house, certainly right now, um, you know, it's pretty low and you're looking at the threes, low, low, low threes right now, which is really, really low for historical terms. On the cars, you see kind of two things. Um, if you watch TV, if you watch a lot of sports, you see all these advertised rates of 0% interest. Right. Um, that's kind 0% of like APR financing. Right. Yeah. 0% APR financing. Um, one, one note I will say about that, the thing that's very tricky about is uh, a lot of times, even on a 0%, a lot of uh, furniture is financed at 0%. Um, a lot of consumer items are financed. Some cell phones are financed at 3 or 0%. Uh, one thing to know about this, if a payment's ever missed, uh, oftentimes they will be calculating the interest the entire um, um, the entire course it's of the loan. Always and if one a catch. The fine print, a lot of times there are kind of some gotchas in there. So yeah. I do hesitate when you see a 0% to be a little cautious. Um, on the loans, I've seen anything anywhere from like uh, 2% on a car loan up to 15%. A lot of it depends on how fast the car is depreciating. If it's a very car that's going to drop in value really fast, they may be a little bit more aggressive on the loans. If someone's really young and they don't have, um, you know, established credit, they may um, be able to borrow money for an expensive car, but they may charge a premium because they're deemed more risk riskier than someone with a bit more established credit. So, in terms of numbers, um, what I like to do for people who have, so there are probably a lot of your listeners out there that have car debt right now, vehicle debt right now. Uh, the local credit union in our town, uh, if you just Google like local credit union in your, your, and type the name of your city, um, most of those will actually refinance vehicles. Um, and the, the, some of the refinance um, rates we've seen recently have been kind of the 3 to 4% per range. And um, many of the people we've seen refinance from like 10 or 11%. So, wow. um, so uh, those numbers aren't gonna gonna last very long. So, like I said, that, those are very daily numbers. So it's not really great. But um, anytime that you have debt, it's always valuable to shop it around. Actually, on my birthday every year, uh, we look at all of our our policies everywhere we borrow money. We look at all of our debt, all of our insurance policies, and we we see if they're still competitive. Wow, so that's we call on your birthday. That's the nerdiest thing I've ever. <laughs> 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 
Uh, so I'll, I'll like that one. I'll check that. I'll take. I'll take that one. Uh, yeah. I'm just kidding, but oh man. So I am curious though. Let's just say, um, yeah. say that my all my loans are student loans. Yeah. Um, that I've like paid off my credit cards. I have a Asking series. Asking for a friend. Yeah, I have a series of loans, and they're all like federal loans. So, yeah. um, they're not. They haven't been earning interest until I, until I got out of school. But some of them are at 2.3% and some are at 6% and one is at 9%. When I'm ready to start paying off my loans, does it make sense to attack the higher interest loans first and then work them, go at, go after them in a declining order of interest? That is a great question. So we get, the, so I definitely want to jump straight into this because this is a very common question with students. The two questions we get with student loans most often are, should I consolidate? Because um, I think as soon as you graduate, as soon as you start paying, kind of like the credit cards, you often get a bunch of letters in the mail saying, consolidate your student loan debt. Yes. Um, so the question we get is, hey, should I consolidate? And then kind of the secondary question or maybe an additional question would be, okay, well, I've got a bunch of debts. What is the best tactic for for paying those off? So I'll start with the consolidation. Um, the the one of the things that we always consider with consolidation is evaluating. So we have, that's a very common thing. Someone comes to our office says, Hey, I've got all this debt. Can you take a look at it? And what we'll do is we'll try to figure out the nature of it. See if someone's eligible for some kind of income based repayment. IBR is a popular program that they have any kind of, maybe they work for a nonprofit or in a rural area or they're a teacher. See if they're eligible for any kind of loan forgiveness program. That's kind of the first thing that we look for. If someone is eligible for that, we may kind of make different recommendations. If someone's not eligible for that, we'll kind of look at their look at the loans, kind of put them all on one you know spreadsheet or on one piece of paper, and figure out if a consolidated approach makes sense. Uh, most often, you can consolidate one time um, and be able to kind of get it all into one centralized payment. Uh, mathematically, sometimes it's uh, they try to make it actuarially even. So if you owe two percent, five percent, nine percent. Often you'll kind of get a combined rate that's kind of the average of those. Mm -hmm. For some people, they really love that. They like having a single payment. Uh, we just have to make sure it's it's fair that in the sense that if you had a bunch of rates at 2% and then they want to consolidate them all, but they want to bump your rate up a lot, you may not want to do that. Right. Um, and then the last question is, okay, well, I've got a bunch of debt. So this is super common as well. Someone comes to um, our office or they come to show up and they've got, you know, six credit cards. They have you know, a bunch of all different interest rates, all different payments. Like you said, they've got a federal aid, they've got a subsidized loan, they've got a they've got a private loan, they've got a you know seven or eight different types of debt. They're all different structures, they all different amounts. And so, what we do, the first step really for anybody is we say, let's get this all down on paper. Let's figure out you know where you are today, what types of you know get make a list of all the different debts that someone has, um, and then the two common approaches to paying off debt. Uh, one it, your 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 readers or your uh, listeners may be familiar with is like a debt snowball approach, and that approach you take your Dave Ramsey. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> but some some places that's like a curse word. Some people get really excited about that one. Um, I uh, I I actually it's funny. I probably recommend his book more often than any others for people because it's entertaining. He's a very good entertainer. Yes. Sure. So people that hate finance may like Dave Ramsey. People that love finance often don't like Dave Ramsey. Mm -hmm. Some some do, but but um, you kind of have a debt snowball approach where you kind of arrange all your debt, uh, highest, um, you know, lowest balance first. And it's kind of a momentum approach. And you try to just knock off the smallest one 
take the money you're using to pay up the smallest one, roll it to the second one. That would be kind of the snowball approach. The other one, uh, they may call it the Avalanche. There's other brandings. They're not quite as well branded, but where you would just take your, your debt and line it up by highest interest rate and attack that first. Okay. A little gotcha. bit of that's personality driven. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of like the math nerd, so it's hard for me to, to line things up, um, you know, by, by smallest amount, even if the interest rates are, are crazy. But I've seen it work so many times. Mm-hmm. I get it. And I'm like, okay, yeah. for a lot of people, the math is not near as important as the psychology. Right. And just seeing that progress, making those steps is way more important than the yeah. rounding of what Absolutely. Would be. Because yeah. I feel like debt, it, debt can just be so discouraging. Um, and I understand when people get to a point where, I mean, they've just been making the minimum payment on their credit cards for so long and they just feel like I'm never going to get out from underneath this, that like they need those positive goalposts. And that's a good stopping point for part one. Pencils down. Pencils down, everyone. Um, And so we hope this has been helpful so far. Next week, uh, now that we've laid the groundwork, Stephen is going to dive a little bit more into investing and saving and making our money work. Yeah, planning for our future. Which is really, really exciting. And so make sure you don't miss that episode. We will see you next week for another episode of the Generation Y Podcast. Free advice.